but it moves very quickly. Peter moved very quickly. If you read the Gospel of Mark, you can probably see the earmarks of Peter being involved with much of what's said. I think it's true. Uh, Peter, the first one called here in this chapter. But we look at Mark and we see, again, not to be so redundant, but I want us to really understand and grasp this because it's a teaching that's not very common, but it really gives us an understanding. It is the disturbing presence, basically, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the person of Christ we see in this gospel, the disturbing presence, and I mean that this way, the Holy Spirit disturbs our flesh. When the Holy Spirit comes and you're introduced to the Holy Spirit, you're in church the first time you hear a gospel message, a witness at work, a family member, a friend, someone witnesses to you of the work of the Holy Spirit, the salvation idea, the plan of Christ, the reason of Christ. When you hear that, usually it comes to crisis in a life. And usually it's heated mostly during the time of crisis, the loss of a loved one, particularly an infant. So many people have come to me and said, we lost a daughter or son, and we were, we were hurting so bad. And during that time, several people, and it's usually at least three. I've never heard less than three. Three came from different directions in my life. Often the minister who was doing the funeral and two other people, unexpected people, came and witnessed to me of the saving power and grace of Jesus Christ. And it comes in a crisis. It's hard to decide and believe that you need something when you're doing well. It's easier to believe when you're hurting and in crisis. And so Peter speaks uh, through Mark here and the Holy Spirit. And we find that to be true. I really believe that to be true. We see in the Gospel of Mark the disturbing presence of Jesus, the need for disruption of our lives. And that is simply this. At whatever age you are born again, if you come to Christ, if you really come to Christ, I'm not talking about come to church. I'm not talking about coming to a denomination. I'm not talking about coming to an idea or an ideal. I'm talking about coming to a person. If you really and truly come to Jesus Christ in crisis, you've been disturbed, and, and you come to him and say, well, I do need to be saved. I, I can't do that with myself and then life must be disrupted what I mean by that is simply this everyone has an agenda everyone has a plan and the Lord says after he disturbs you to the point of salvation now we're going to exchange agendas here your agenda for mine mine for yours but Lord I was going all this direction and maybe you're there maybe you got saved older in life and you've already been in a business for years or whatever the Lord still says I want I want to have your agenda and mine you, he may call you to do what you've been doing but for different reasons with a different thrust and so the needful disruption the disturbing presence the very needful disruption and then in that in obedience to that and i got to say, in the second step is where most people fall down. They will not be disrupted. They will not be disrupted. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I have a plan. 
It's working pretty well. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now, Lord, bless my plan is the prayer of most Christians. And that works for many people. It works for many people. But I want to say this. It's not particularly God's plan. And you'll never be at the end of your life having fulfilled God's purpose for your life. The Bible tells us in several places we've been through that. Psalm 139, study that carefully. David said, before I was conceived in the womb, my book was written and complete. God has a plan for your life and mine. And now we're looking at this morning this idea. Because you're disturbed by the presence, because you're disrupted in your life, God draws that out and it's a progressive now definition. You, you become defined by the, by the Holy Spirit. You and I become defined who we are. And listen, America, you are not what you do. You are who you are. What you do does not define you. Whose you are defines you. We're not defined by our work. We're fed by our work, but we're not defined by our work. And so we have this progressive definition. And the more you allow God's agenda, and the more that I allow God's agenda to take over my life, the more I'm defined as a person with the purpose that he called me to be. And so you, the very same. And so we look in the first part of the mark and we see that Jesus is introduced by John the Baptist, the prophesied prophet. We go through these things. He's identified by the Father. He's initiated by the Spirit in the wilderness, tempted there 40 days, not only baptized to identify himself with all sinners, all mankind. He's tempted of 40 days to identify himself in particular with Israel, 40 years in the desert. And he passes. And boy, does he pass. And, by the way, the other gospels, this one does not say it. The other gospels say, and Satan left him for a season. Your fight with Satan is not a one-time victory or loss, by the way. Your fight with the devil is not a one-time victory or loss. You beat him today, he'll be back tomorrow. You were strong today in the spirit of God. Tomorrow, beware, you'll bring something else. And as the Lord told Peter, Satan desires to sift you. We all have different weak spots, different impurities in our lives, and Satan's going to sift us to find the weak spots. Some people not distracted at all by money. Other people would sell their soul for a $5 bill. What goes on with the office between married and unmarried people? I'm just telling you. Some people would not ever involve themselves. Other people live from one situation to another. Different weaknesses in people. And Satan wants to sift you and me. He's do he does it. He's doing it. He'll do it. And he'll find your weak spot and he'll, he'll attack you at that place, your Achilles heel. And so he was initiated by the Spirit. He was illuminated. Now we're looking at the rest of the book of Mark, the illumination, the, the glorious picture, the lighting up of Jesus Christ in his life and his work and purpose. And so we come this week. We come this week to the 29th verse. We come this week. We're looking through the, we're looking through the eyes of Peter, the apostle Peter. We're looking through his eyes. He was the first to be called. It says in, it says in verse um, 16, 
saw Simon and Andrew and cast their net, and they were fishing, and Jesus said, Come, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway, verse 18 says, they forsook all and they followed him. Peter, the first one called, we're looking at this gospel through the eyes of Peter, and look what he's seeing. Once again, let me say to you, if your Bible points it out, Matthew says very much the same thing about the call of Simon. But when you go to Luke in chapter 5, Dr. Luke expounds some and says this, Peter was washing his nets and Jesus walked by and said, I need to borrow your boat. And he borrowed his boat and he launched out a bit and he preached the gospel. And when he came back in, he said to Peter, now let your net down on that side. And Peter said, oh, we've been fishing all night, Jesus. You know, and don't, don't think that we're not talking like that to Jesus now. We've been fishing all night, and the innuendo may be that we're the fishermen here. You're a preacher. We're the fishermen. That's what we do, and it's generations deep. We're fishermen. That's what we do. And the Lord said, let your net down on that side. And when he hauled it back in, you read it, Luke chapter 5, they couldn't bring it in for the amount of fish. Their nets began to tear and to break. And they called James and John. The brothers that were partners, you find that in the scripture, they were partners, and they called them over. Peter goes over to the knees of Jesus, drops on his knees and says, depart from me, O God, O Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Go find someone else. Go find someone else. And if the Lord's called you to do something, I know it because of the ministry. And I was, I was afraid to go in the ministry. I was afraid I wasn't hearing the proper spirit because of my lack of abilities. Satan tell you that about you? God call you to something you're supposed to do for him? You say, no, Lord, I, I'll, I'll serve over here, but not over there. You'll never find the true joy and fulfillment of purpose that God has by telling him what you'd rather do. Thankful I come from a home where that never flew. It wouldn't work. I'm thankful to have a, a background in the history where the authority tells you that's what you're going to do. And you might do it later, kind of limping along, but you're going to get her done because your authority said, this is your job, now go do it. I'm telling you this morning, and I prayed a friend of mine, we were talking on Friday night, a friend of mine, a preacher, we were talking after dinner on Friday night, came to the house. Frustrated sometimes, are you? Are you frustrated sometimes? And he said, pray this way. And I've been praying this way since then. Lord, allow these people in my hearing today to hear it how I hear it from you. I find this to be fascinating, exciting, thrilling. It's a passion for me. And what the Lord, I'd say this morning, I got up and uh, I, I have to say this with my mouth out loud. The Lord couldn't be better to me. The Lord could not be better to me. He couldn't do it. He is that good to me that I feel in my physical body, my spiritual body, I feel this. He couldn't be better to me. I hope you feel that way. And you'll get that way when you read the Word of God and see how much He loves you. You know how much He loves you? You'll never know unless you read the Word of God. Now, it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what He did, not only until He died, but as He... When he resurrected the first chapter of the book of, of Acts, if you read that carefully, it says this. He came back 
and for 40 days had a Bible class with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom. And so he came, he was introduced as the one who came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the great sermon on the mount recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. That great sermon begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom. If the sermon begins with the kingdom, the last thing he says is, Seek ye first the kingdom, and all of these things shall be added to you. In the middle of that is a prayer, Thy kingdom come. What do you think, he's, what do you think the Lord's about? And what do you think we're to be about? Acts opens in chapter 1 and the first five verses with Jesus Christ teaching 40-day Bible class to his students before they were unleashed into the world, the kingdom. The last two verses of the book of Acts is Paul was in a hired house for two years, his own house before he died. People came and went freely. They had nothing on him. They had nothing on him and they knew it, but they wanted money and he wouldn't do it. They had nothing on him, and so people were able to come and go, and he witnessed to them and, and led them in the right way of Christ. But the Bible says twice in that last chapter, up in the text and then the last couple of verses, he said he, he spent the last two years before he offered himself a living sacrifice, teaching the kingdom of God to whosoever will listen. Now, if that's what Jesus came to do, and that's what Paul did, and then the disciples picked that up. What do you think our mission is? I'm fairly frustrated when I was a young preacher that preachers told me it was not about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. We are to live as kingdom residents. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad this world is not your home? You're just passing through. And then we can really say, if heaven's not my home, Lord, what will I do? Well, it is my home. It is. And I'm going there. And man, I hope to see you there. And I hope that you understand by these things that we're talking about and share with other people that you'll see them there. You know what we're supposed to do in the world? We're supposed to bring revival to a lost and dying world. We're not supposed to wallow in apostasy. The world's bringing apostasy to the church fast. If we don't bring revival soon, it's going to take it down. This world hates Jesus Christ. This world system hates Jesus Christ. You can be in any other religion in the world and get all kinds of acclaim. You mentioned Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, you're a bad person in the world's <laughs> eyes and the world's standards. And so Peter called. You, unless the Lord uses both, he hears a message, he hears a sermon. And then he sees a miracle. And then the Lord comes into Capernaum and he starts to teach in the, in the synagogue. And what happens there? A man with an unclean spirit cries out. And I said it last week, I'll say it again. There's unclean spirits come to church all the time. And they're angry. They don't want to hear it. I'm a mean, bad person. You're stupid for being here. You're the dregs of society. You're leaning on a, the crutch of a Bible because you're weak and don't have the fortitude and the mental power and the character to live your own life. That's satanically inspired talk, by the way. The Bible is not a crutch to me. It's a wheelchair. 
I don't lean on it. I ride, I ride in it. All my weight's in that. The Bible is not to me a crutch. Not a cane, a wheelchair. All of my weight. And so Peter sees these things, and he sees this man stand up in Bible time, in the synagogue, in the temple, the worship hour, and Jesus teaching, and he, he screams out with a loud voice, what have you have to do with us? I know why you're here, and I know who you are. And the Lord said, and read the words. The Lord said, and look it up. You know what he said when you boil it down? Oh, the, the Bible's very kind. In his language, he said, shut up. You shut up. Oh, that's not nice, is it? You want to talk nice to a demon? Go ahead. The Lord said, shut up. Don't need your witness here today. Thank you very much. And he does it more throughout the book of Mark and recorded through the other Gospels. Peace be still is what the Bible says. In his language, it's rendered this way. Shut up. Don't need it here. Not only shut up, shut up and quit. Cease and desist is what he said. Stop and shut up. And so Peter sees that. He says, man, I've never seen that before in church. And immediately now, look with me, verse 29. And immediately, forthwith, immediately when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, the four he called, and Simon, Peter, wife's mother, his mother-in-law, they sick of a fever, and anon, right then, they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her hand, and she ministered unto them. You get that? You get that? Peter said, well, let's go to my house. And when they got there, his mother-in-law was sick. I mean, she was in bed sick with a fever. She was burning up. Read the words and look them up. She was hot with a fever. Bad sick. I want to say something to you now. We all come to him sick. We all come in darkness. We all come sick. You go to John chapter 3, it says Nicodemus came to the rabbi, came to him by night, came to Jesus by night. We all come to him by <coughs> night. We all come in darkness. He is the light. And she came and she was sick. By the way, the man in the uh, Capernaum, in the synagogue he was sick different kinds of sick he was spiritually sick she was physically sick and it says you know what Jesus did look at that with me verse 31 he came first of all he came that's a big deal isn't it aren't you glad that Jesus came man he didn't have to come he could have done all that he did and created this world and set us loose and said now see how you do Bible says he came. Reading in John chapters 15 and 16, it said, If I had not come. Think of that now. Jesus said, If I had not come. And then two verses later, he said, If I had not done. If he had not come and done those things that he did as God, we'd be forever lost in our sin. But it says that Jesus came. Jesus came, and what did he do? He took her by the hand 
You remember that day? Do you? You remember the day that Jesus came, took you by the hand, and then did one more thing? He lifted you up. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember. I was 10 years old and a foolish little boy, and I thought the whole world wanted to hear about that. <laughs> I'm 62. I still think they do. I, they don't. Mostly they don't. But he came, he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And what did she do? You see what the proper response is to being healed by the Savior? She ministered unto him, unto them. She ministered. Was that beneath your dignity to serve a cold drink and a sandwich? Is that beneath you? Are you grateful for the Lord's healing? We move on. And at even, at evening time here, when the sun did set, you know what that is? The Sabbath is over. We're in the Sabbath, or Sabbath day. It's not legal to heal. It's not legal to work. It's not legal to carry or bear a burden. But now the Sabbath day is over, and so they all come together now and brought to him all that were diseased, verse 32, and all them that were possessed of devils. That word means demonized. They were demonized. And you're seeing today, if you have a television or a phone, you're seeing demonized individuals speak. Clear. Clearly we're seeing demonized individuals speak. How do we know that? They're not saying the things of the Holy Spirit. They're not even saying things anymore of the flesh. They're saying things of the nether, the underworld, the demonic world. You know what Satan's going to do? You know what's going to be his domain and his place? Things that are counted unworthy? You burn them. That's what you do with it. You burn them. See me that later? Don't like how it's going? I deem this thing unworthy of me. Well, burn it. And by the way, as I'm burning it, there will be no authority to tell me I'm wrong. No such thing. Demonic. Demonic. Satanic. Luciferian is a good word. And look what it says in verse 33. And all the city would gather together at the door. That's a bunch of people. All the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew it. Again, don't need that witness. You know somebody living outside of the Christian life witnessing to other people about the love of God and the goodness of God? You know how far that witness goes? What? The world looks at that and says, why not? You look at your lifestyle, the things that you do, the things that you say, the things you're involved in, the things that you desire. You look at that and you're telling me, maybe a Christian, a Christian out of fellowship does a lot more damage than just a demon. Oh, isn't the Lord good? He saved me when I was 12. He's so good. He's so good. Why are you living like you've never met him in your life? You want to lose some friends, bring it up. I'm telling you this. Say this to them. The Lord said, I don't need your witness. I don't need it. Thank you very much. And he even says this, shut up. You just shut up. 
Get out of here and shut up. Say that to people, can we? He's demonized people, the Lord cast out the demons. We come now to the crux of the message, verses 35 to 39. As we move through this chapter, and every segment of this chapter is pregnant and filled and full and rich with the ideas of who this Christ is being illuminated. He said, and don't forget this, he said, I come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That was his reason for coming. And that's what he did, by the way. He came to preach the gospel. And it says, look here at verse 35. Look at these next four verses, five verses. And in the morning, by the way, did he have a busy day? I'm telling you the gospel message, the preaching of the gospel will wear you out. The living of the gospel will wear you out. Did Jesus have a full day? He called his disciples. He went and preached at the, at the lake. He came back to the synagogue, cast out demons, went to Peter's house, cast out the fever. Demons came all the town, brought their demons, sick people all that night. That wasn't a five-minute deal. And early in the morning now, some of you people don't know what this says. You have never seen these words. Rising up a great while before day. Yeah, uh-oh. Meddling now, huh? I want to say to you this. I've tried to study different times of the day. I am blessed in the morning. I am blessed before the day begins. I'm blessed before the sun comes up to be with the Lord in the solitary place. Don't know about you. Uh, some of you people think the sunrise is just the opposite of sunset, so you've seen the same thing. It's not so. It's the beginning of the day. It's the it's the before. You know what it is? It's count the Lord worthy of a little bit of self-denial. You might not know what it's like to hug the pillow a little bit longer and turn over and cover up for a little bit longer. I've seen sold real estate now for 20 years. I've seen some beat up alarm clocks. They have been tossed. They have been smashed. They have been uh, abused. One, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, that's right. I've seen some alarm clocks. I'm like, does that work? I said, as much as I want it to. <laughs> got one bell and half a dinner. Listen now. This is Lord Rose, Jesus. And I'm looking at this temple now of his life manner. We're looking now at uh, Christ's priorities and his purpose. And he had a big day the day before. And I'm, I'm weak enough and I'm honest enough to tell you this. Sunday wears the slip. I need Monday after Sunday. I need it. I pray all week, Lord, just let me speak your word. Give me your word. Illuminate the truth. Let me say it where they'll hear it. Mostly I pray this. I'm studied up, prayed up. I've been through all I can. I've done the best I know how. Now, Lord, help me get out of the way and you tell them what you want them to know. That's my life. Even in that, 
getting out of the way the best I know how wears me out. This is, this is to me more exhausting than physical labor ever was. At my age, we're starting to get real close together, but it's more exhausting than physical labor ever was. But we look here and we see what Jesus' practice was. He had a full day, is my point. You get that? He had a day before, was full, and it went to late hours. And in the morning, verse 35, the practice and priority of Jesus, in the morning, rising up a great while before day, What's that? 720? No. Try 345. A great while before day is called night, folks. <laughs> Let's just say that out loud. A great while before day is called night. And that may be when it's the darkest, but it's when you'll meet with the I promise you that you'll meet with the Christ there. And in the morning, a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. I want to ask you a question now. This is the crux of the matter. That's what Jesus did. Don't you think we need to do that? If this is what God did, don't you think we need to do that? Oh, wait a minute. Snooze button five times. And been in a panic and a hurry to be late for work, kind of fix your face and drink your coffee at the same time and run out the book. And uh-oh, uh, heard a verse on the radio, had my meditation time. You see people lie about that. But I've never, I've never got great insight from the Lord on the fly. But I have read the, read the Bible repeatedly over the same verses repeatedly for different spans of time and beg God for the answer of it, the meaning of it, the truth of it, the application of it. And I find this to be true. He'll give it to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and you shall be open. Ask and you shall receive. I spent a lot of Monday mornings in my prayer time saying, Lord, I don't have a sermon for next Sunday. I don't have an idea for that. What the Lord said? Start reading. Talk to me. Talk to me. I think this is true is in Bible study. If you if you read the Bible before you pray, I, I think it'll be more productive. That's me. But you see what the priorities of Christ were? It says he went up, got up early in the morning, went out, departed to a solitary place. And I want to talk about that. He's alone with God. And Simon, and they that were with him, followed after him. And when they found him, they said to him, All men, or all seek for thee. And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. Carefully listen, for therefore came I forth. I didn't come to heal people. I came to preach the word. Didn't come to heal people. Came to preach. You wanna know why? Because the word is how you feel. Through the word is how you feel. Go back for just a moment to uh, well, let's go to Luke chapter four. 
because Luke chapter 4 Well, the Lord stood up. If you'll read there with verse 16 of chapter 4, and it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He went home. And as his custom was, as his custom was, he, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus made it a custom to go to worship. And he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him a book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Listen to what he read. He looked, he looked this up, knowing where it was, student of the word. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That is, that is a healing ministry. That's the healing ministry of Jesus. And so it says he got up early in the morning and they went to a solitary place. And I want to tell you very quickly, this I learned as a young Christian, it helped me a lot. It's alone with Jesus thing. It's wonderful to come here this morning. If you're in your car, if you're out under the trees, if you're in the building here, it's wonderful to come and say with one corporate heart, Lord, we love you. We're so thankful this morning. Thank you for saving us. We have sinned. And we know we're sinners. We ask forgiveness for our sins. Lord, we're grateful for who you are. But it's alone with God when you're going to grow Corporate worship is wonderful. This is necessary. It, it fuels us. It strengthens us. One log can't burn very well. Two or three burn a lot better. Three and four burn a lot better than one. Hard to keep a one log burning. So we come together and we get warm again. We get fire again. But we go out from here. And it's in those lonely hours. It's in those solitary hours when God you're going to learn something what he wants from you, who he wants you to be. And he'll give you the strength that when others reject you, he says, I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't worry about it. They'll reject you. They will reject you. You go all out for Christ, you get saved and want to live for Christ, and you quit the things that the other people are doing, and you point out the things that they haven't quit, I'm going to tell you this, you will lose the friends. You will lose the friends. That's why you and I need solitary time alone with God, alone with the Word of God, on our knees, on our face, studying the Word of God, getting the Word to us from Him, studying prayer, the Word from us to Him, prayer. And look what it says. And by the way, the Bible says in Genesis uh, 32, go back to Genesis 32, you'll find that uh, Jacob wrestled alone. It says he was left alone and he wrestled with God. He wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ. That's where Jacob got his name changed to Israel. That's where after that meeting, worn out, worn out, and the Lord said to Jacob, let me go. He said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. 
that's when you're going to win, folks. I'll not let go unless you've got to have a tenacity that hangs on. And Lord, everything looks like it's falling apart. And he said, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm taking it apart so I can put it back together properly. Wrestling with God. Let me alone. He said, I'll not let thee alone. The Lord touched him, it says, in the hollow of his side. And from that day, as the sun was coming up, that says that for a reason, he lived across the river, across the creek there, the Nile. He lived across and lived the rest of his life. You want to know what that says? You really meet the Christ and you really meet him, you will never walk the same. You meet the Christ and you really mean it. With him. You, you do business with Jesus Christ and you'll never walk the same. Moses, the Bible said God called him up on the mountain alone. He said, and Moses alone, three times. Moses alone can come up here. You can't come. Joshua went halfway up the mountain had to stay. Moses went on up uh, 40 days, 40 nights alone. With God. What do you bring back? Ten commandments. Daniel, it says in Daniel chapter 10, and Daniel was there alone and got the vision. Daniel was there alone because the whole world had pushed him away, and he would not be his God. And he got a vision there that we are living in today, by the way. He got a vision that is coming true in our life, the vision of the end day. It says in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus was there alone in the mountain all night and prayed. It says in this book, in Mark 4 and 34, that the disciples were alone and asked about the parables. And it says that when they were alone, Jesus opened their understanding. Alone with God. If you think coming to church is your weekly obligation to Christ, and you're going to be a vital and growing Christian by coming one hour, now we're up, now we are down to one hour. The handful of the few and the nucleus of the church would come twice in the morning and one Sunday evening. We, we have that until people get older and unable. That's always been the nucleus of the church. But a lot of the church has always believed that I can come for one hour and I'll have that. Well, it doesn't work. You've got to be on your knees during the week, day by day, moment by moment with Jesus Christ. I'm just here trying to encourage you to do that. That's what these messages are from me, is encouraging you to draw closer to this person, not to a, not to a place, a person, not to a denomination, a person, not to an idea. And it's not even to make you better. It's to see him more clearly. Do you believe that? It's supposed to be So he gets up a great while before day and they come and find him. But the commentators and commentaries say the word is actually they hunted him out. Jesus went and got alone. He left. He went outside to a solitary place and they came like hunting dogs. They sniffed him out and they found him. Oh, there you are. There you are. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? All men seek for thee. What do you say? Well, then let's go back there and talk to all those men. He said, no. Look in verse uh, point 38. He said, let us go into the next town. Why? That I may preach there also. He came to preach. He came preaching. He came to preach. 
And uh, if you'll look at chapter 2 and verse uh, 2 there, the end of it, it says, He preached the word unto them. That's what Jesus came to do. Preach the word. He said, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is the reason I came. Why did Christ come to this world? According to him to preach the word. You know, the whole world is against you, understanding this. The entire world is against you, understanding this. Because when it happens that a person understands and grasps the truth of the Word of God, when it happens that you really allow it to come in and disrupt your life and change your agenda with God. And I've, I've not seen it very often. Tell you, we're just not going to do it. People are just not going to do it. But there are some who do. And you'll find in this gospel later that John James, they say, Lord, Lord, look at those people down there. Look at them. Could we call lightning down? You know, you're standing by God. So you say, God, how about we do this, God? How about we call lightning down and just burn those people up? Remember the passage, and the Lord says to them, <laughs> oh, call them sons of thunder. Noisemakers. <laughs> oh, you're noisy. A friend of mine, we were talking about that the other night. The copper's in the lightning. The noise is in the thunder. He said, you're just so much noise. You don't know what spirit of man that you are. You ever think of those things? You ever ponder those things? I've known Christians in my life who they mention Jesus in every other sentence. And yet life is so weak and so backward and so full of failure. Thunder. That's You don't know what manner of man you are. You're operating in the wrong spirit. You ever want to call white and down on people? You ever want to burn some people up? You ever thought if I could just get rid of them and nobody knew it but me and God, I'd do it today? <laughs> you nod know, yes and don't even know it. <laughs> yeah. That's not the Christian mentality. That's the flesh saying, I don't want any more of this. Folks, the Lord said, I come to preach. And I want you to see with me now. We're going to close up with this this morning. And he preached, verse 39, in the synagogues throughout all of Galilee. That was the reason he was there. He went, listen, in half a verse it says he went and preached throughout all of Galilee, comma, and cast out devils. There you go. And he cast out some devils. That's a secondary deal. Now we're going to, we're going to back up and take a review of something for just a moment. For some of you haven't been here, I tell you this. As I've been studying the Bible now for a number of years, there are major disciplines taught through the Word of God to the, to the child of God. The number one discipline, the number one discipline is a discipline of discipleship. It's a discipline of discipleship. And 
it mostly is summed up with this, if any man uh, shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is basically, in a nutshell, the discipline of discipleship. If you will come after and follow me, deny yourself. Jesus got up early in the morning. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit said a great while before day. He didn't get up at sunrise. He didn't get up when it was light outside. A great while before day. That's nighttime, folks. Again, he got up. You know what he did? He denied his flesh to empower his spirit. We are made the same way. And so the Bible says very clearly now, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three steps. And the Bible says, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is the discipline of discipleship. But the Lord had this. He had a, a priority that he followed, and it's through the Bible, and it was, it's in these verses why I bring it up now, is the priority of prayer to preaching to purging. He prayed sometimes all night, the Bible said, so he could the next morning preach with power and authority. And in that same power of the Holy Spirit, from that time of refreshing with God, he began to purge. He cast out everything from physical diseases to demonic possession. And he cast them out. That's your life and mine. That's the priority of Jesus Christ. That's the priority of God in the flesh to show us how to live in this world. That's his priority. It's the preparation for the kingdom by the teaching. And so here I want you to see this, this 35 through 39 here, that lip, it says this. This is, in my mind, the practice for power. What is the practice of power? Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him. That is to get up a great while before death. Open the Bible. And you look at me, and my eyes don't work in the morning. It's hard to work when they're shut. <laughs> my eyes are, I can't see well in the morning. I can't think clearly. I've had people, you know the story. It doesn't do any good. I don't get anything out of it. Well, then you better get up about a half hour earlier before a great while and wake up. A cold shower will do it. A cold shower will do it. Get up and follow Christ into his day. This is the practice of power in the Christ's life and it is in ours. And then you have, if you'll look with me very quickly, in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, the fifth book of the Bible. Joshua in chapter 1, we have the formula for success. The formula for success given to Joshua. Joshua, it says in chapter 1 and verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass, the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. How is he going to do that? Verse 8. Here's how God tells Joshua to be prosperous and successful. Been to a lot of seminars in my life 
this one is the truth. This book of the law, this Bible, the Bible that you hold now, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You've got to think about it. Ruminate, ponder. Think about it. Therein, day and night, that thou shalt mayest observe to do. Got to do it. According to all that is written therein, for then, for then, what? If you talk about the Word of God, and you meditate upon the Word of God, and you do what's in the Word of God, then, and not before, but then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou shalt have good success. Is that what you heard at your last business seminar? Never heard that at a business seminar. Do you know that Joshua did these things? Did Joshua have good success? man who at the end of his time in reigning over the people said this, I'm going to tell you one thing, it's time for me to step down, but from now on, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to serve the Lord. You know why? Because he learned this pattern for success, this formula for success is absolutely true. He said, I'm going to go ahead and be successful until I die, and I'm going to teach my kids and my grandkids how to be successful and how to prosper. So we have this passage in Mark with Christ as he practiced, practiced for power. We have in Joshua the formula for success. And we have in 2 Peter 1, again, we talked about it before. We have the equation, the equation of growth. And it says this, according as his divine power, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers. I don't have to be. You can be a Christian and live like an animal. You can be a Christian and find no prosperity and no success at all. You can be unhappy, you can be miserable, you can be all kinds of things and still be a Christian. And I guarantee you, when you go home, you'll be in outer darkness at the judgment, and you will lose your reward. But Peter says, we're given these promises that we might be partakers. Now how do we become partakers? Giving all diligence, verse 5, add, this is an equation, plus sign, add to your faith virtue, moral excellence is what it means, and to your virtue, knowledge, and understanding of the Word of God. Add to, plus sign, knowledge, temperance, and self-control, to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, which is love. He says we might be partakers, and verse 8 says, and if these things be in you, and I say it again, please hear this. These are progressive steps. I don't believe, personally, you can skip one and two and go to three and go to seven. You have to get level out, learn the next step, level out, learn the next step of the ladder like a staircase. But if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither, uh, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our 
Lord Jesus Christ. I finish with this. I want everyone to hear me one more time. If you weren't here, please write this down. If you were here, please write it again. This is the discipline coming off from discipleship. Discipleship being the hub of the wheel. One of the major spokes that comes off of that hub. The discipline of distraction. Distraction. Reading this one night filled me up so full. Well, look at it. It filled me up so full. Reading this from the joy that I got from it. Now listen, it's in uh, 1 Kings 20, verse 40. 1 Kings 20 and 40. Reading through there, it seems pretty dry sometimes. I'll say that. It seems pretty dry. And I'm reading through there, and I'm thinking, this is interesting. This old, I love history, and I like the Old Testament really well. But I was, it was a night I was kind of bleary-eyed, and I was about done. And, and I thought, well, I'll be done in a minute. I just want to finish this up. And that's when the Lord blessed me. You know what it said? It's a... One of the prophets of God disguised himself and he was given a soldier, a, a captive, to stand guard with. Read the passage. He was, he had a, they said, here's this man, he's a captive. Uh, don't let him out, of, don't let him go. And if he, if he escapes from you, it's going to cost your life or a pretty good sum of money. And uh, he got away. He got away. And read that, thinking, okay. Listen to this line in the Bible. 1 Kings 20 and 40 says this. When they ask him, how did you, get, how did you lose him? How did you lose that man? He was in your care. Verse 40 says this. And as thy servant was busy here and there. He's gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall thy judgment be. Myself and decided. The Holy Spirit comes to you and me. And uh, it's disturbing. And he brings us this Christ. And it brings a crisis to our life. He brings crisis to our life. And he says, I want to disrupt your life now. I want to take my agenda and change it for yours. A great agenda exchange, I call it. I want to change my agenda for, agenda for yours. But Lord, I've been working for years and I, I plan on this. I want to do that. And I said, I know. I got a better idea. And I've learned this. The more I say yes, the better it is. Well, here's what he says. When Christ comes to your life and you're born again and he exchanges agendas with you, he is now our total focus. You believe that? He's now our total focus. And here's the answer. Don't lose sight of him. Peter, Peter got out of the boat. He says the waves and the wind were boisterous, contrary, and he began to sink. And he yelled, Lord, save me. He took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to sink in all the commotion of the world. And the Lord said, I'm standing right here. I never left. What are you doing? 
I'm over flopping around, sinking. He said, I've been right here. And he said, Lord, save me. And he lifted him up. And he walked right on the water and got back in the boat. If only one passage in the Bible, if I was Peter, I would have preached that to the door. <laughs> I would have been on that one. It wasn't icy. There were no big rocks. I walked on the water because the Lord said, I'm right here. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I know a lot of people who have gotten older who lost their vision of Jesus in the middle years. And they wished that God would have kept their vision on Christ. Me too. Honestly, me too. Look at what he said. As my servant was busy here and there. How many of you know this world will keep you busy? I mean busy. Worn out, dead tired, broke, can't do no more, exhausted, busy. And Jesus said, I already had that taken care of. You wore yourself big. Seek first the kingdom and all that stuff I'll give you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things I'll just give them to you. I want to say this this morning before we go. You've done that for me. In whatever way and in whatever fashion you want to see it, the more I focus on him, the more of the things he just says, if you need those, that's going to I hope you believe that. But if we get busy here and there and find out that he was gone, this is the, this is a picture of the judgment seat. What do you do with your life? What have you been doing while I was away? Oh, I got busy here and there, and my first love. left your first love, you just slipped away from that. I always meant to go back to church. I always meant to be a good Christian. I meant to follow him. I was even going to get crazy and tired once in a while, but it slipped away from me. And I'm not asking you for money. If you don't want to give it, don't give it. I'm saying this. If the Lord has a plan, and you know what it is, you'll be so glad at the end of your life if you don't let it slip away. You'll be so grateful for him. You lie on your deathbed with peace of heart and mind and say this, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I've seen it both ways and a lot of times. We love him this morning. Do you love him this morning? Have you let him in on it? <laughs> Does he know anything about it? Oh, he loves you. I'm telling you, I don't care if you're 25, 45, 65, 85. No day like today to start living for him. You give it all to him. All that stuff you're worried about, all the things you think you have to have, he'll give it to you. You seek him first. And you'll get him with joy. You'll get him a blessing and joy and contentment. Pray with me now. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for loving us and for keeping us. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us. And continue to bless us. Now we're asking for your continued protection. We live in a hostile and crazy world. We live in a world of danger with physical disease, demonic possession, 